Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. So I had a conversation yesterday afternoon with a friend who is um, uh, the CEO of, you know, a mid-sized company. Um, and uh, let me just tell you that in in addition to all of the stresses related to simply uh, reopening his business, uh, he now describes what it's like to be suddenly uh, living in the midst of unwritten rules and totally ambiguous expectations related to what he says or doesn't say, what the company says or doesn't say, um, who's on the board, um, who's hired next, what people are making, on and on and on um, in terms of racial disparity within his company. And so I'm glad we're talking with Bill English this morning. Um, I don't think that CEOs and others in leadership uh, in companies small and large, are going to be able to duck uncomfortable conversations going forward. Um, and the more cautious and contrived uh, and political their statements are, uh, you know, potentially the more hazardous it's going to be internally to them. So I just want to lift that up. And maybe you are um, experiencing that in your organization. If so, uh, I feel like reaching out to Bill English is a good idea for each of us and all of us who. Uh, are having those kind of challenges. Also want to say to those of you who are looking for employment right now, um, there's a lot of good news out there. Um, Glassdoor now has a one-stop job site helping people find jobs in this on-demand economy. And there is uh, a surge in hiring for both in-person and remote jobs across the country, as long as you're not looking for, like, you know, uh, becoming a flight attendant. Like, that. that's not right now... um, you know, not hiring. Um, but lots of uh, lots of other uh, areas are hiring. And so if you're ready to get back into the job market, maybe this time away from your job has, um, you know, led you to a place of evaluation of whether or not you really want to use your the time and talents that, that God has given you in the in the way that you were using them before the COVID shutdown. Um, maybe, you know, maybe check out the, the options that are available out there. Um, everybody is, I mean, you know, hiring is just on fire right now. So uh, so places are hiring. And if you're comfortable, uh, feel safe going back to work, there are places where you can go back to work and you can do so remotely. Maybe uh, this time at home, um, you have, during this time at home, you've discovered, you know what, I'd really like to work from home and I can't do my prior job from home. So I'd like to find a job that I can do from home. Um, you know, the, the economy is open and people are hiring. We're going to talk about the economy up next with Bill English. There were some incredible employment gains um, as uh, as consumers reemerge, um, and yet, and yet, uh, the United States has been officially declared to be in a recession. I'm going to talk about how to understand those two things at the same time with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. That conversation up next.
Joining me now, Bill English from BibleAndBusiness.com. Good morning, sir. Hey, good morning, Carmen. How are you doing? I'm, uh, well, I'm better than I deserve, for sure. But that's, somebody else has already said that, and they've made that their, like, token line. So i got to come up with another that, one. Um, yeah, you know yeah. what? You know what? Paul is in rare form this morning in terms of his what? humor off air. He's been very good this morning. I, I keep the I keep the guests is, entertained while Carmen does her work. Yeah, that's how it works here. Paul, Paul's not allowed to have off air humor. Like that seems inappropriate. Okay, what? so let, okay. I'm just kidding. Let's uh, let's talk about the word recession. Um, so right. uh, it doesn't feel. I mean, I it feel we're we're in a weird place for sure. Is the right word for where we are recession? I don't know if it's weird. I know for some it's going to feel very much like a recession, and for others it's not going to feel like a recession at all. So the recession is hitting pockets of our economy. It's not a pervasive overall uh, recession. So. Okay. So let's just talk a little bit about um, about recession and what you're seeing and why that word is being used. Yeah. So uh, first of all, recessions. Who decides uh, when we're in a recession? It's the folks over at the National Bureau of Economic Research, NBER or NIEBER. And they, they define it. You know, it's it's one of those wonky <laughs> places where really brainiacs work, I think. Uh, NIEBER defines a recession as a significant decline in economic activity that is spread across the economy, lasting more than a few months normally visible in real GDP, real income, employment, and so forth. Um, <clears throat> no one was surprised by this announcement from Niebuhr that we that the recession started in February. Uh, nobody was surprised by that. Everybody knew we were in a recession. It's just that it took Niebuhr uh, several months to run the numbers and uh, officially declare, yep, we're in a recession. And it officially ended a 128-month expansion of our economy going back to when we came out of the 2008-2009 uh, uh, recession. So they are always uh, measured in hindsight, and they are difficult to predict uh, in the future. So that's a little bit about a, uh, a recession. Niebuhr feels that the one that we're in right now is going to be short-lived, A, because it's not completely pervasive across the economy, and B, uh, the fundamentals of our economy were so strong before COVID hit that Niebuhr thinks it's going to uh, bounce back relatively quickly. So that's, that's kind of where Niebuhr is at on that. Okay, in terms of bouncing back, um, let's talk about yep. jobs, and then let's also talk about the stock market. Yep. So uh, in March and April, for jobs, we lost 22 million jobs in March and April. Crazy. So the fact, crazy it, numbers, it, right? It, it's, it is crazy numbers. I don't think uh, – I've, I've never seen this in my lifetime, and I doubt I'll ever see it again, uh, which is a good thing because this is a horrible carnage uh, mm -hmm. that, that's been happening in, in the job market. Uh, they expected, they being the analysts, so uh, there's a whole bunch of analysts that are invited to, across all kinds of industries that are invited to say, what do you expect on a given metric that's going to be coming up that we use to help measure the economy? Uh, those people expected another 8 to $9 million job loss in May, and it came back that we actually gained 2.5 million jobs, which was a complete surprise uh, to everyone. Uh, the, the job gains came, believe it or not, in leisure and hospitality. Um, 
Uh, construction also gained 464,000 jobs. Hotels continued to lose jobs, but restaurants gained. And government overall shed a half million jobs in May. That's probably mostly state and local governments as their budgets are getting pinched with much, much stronger than anticipated outflows of money for unemployment and much less revenue coming in from taxes because, you know, people aren't aren't buying stuff. They're not going to the restaurant and having a $70 meal and paying state sales tax on that. And so uh, the governments, state and local governments are seeing a reduction in revenue and an uptick in expenditures. And so sh uh, jobs are getting shed at the government level. Um, hey, can I really, say, can I give people yeah. one tangible idea? When you do go out um, to a restaurant, um, plan to way over tip your server because oh, yeah. there's an em there's an empty table in every direction and so your server is serving one table where they normally would have served four and so um be be prepared to you know way over tip your server um and and just 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 be prepared for that as an act of grace there you go that's my i'm pitching that in i totally get that i i throughout seminary i waited tables and uh, it was it was tough nights, some nights. But uh, remember, uh, I always tip 20 percent. I know most people don't, but I always do because of that experience. So, yeah, please do. Uh, so who's who's getting hired back? Who are those two point five million? I think it's or who's doing the hiring. Maybe I should say I think it's most businesses that were strong that can weather this economic storm, I think those are the ones that are starting to hire again. I don't think this is an indication that all 22 million jobs are going to get recovered in the next few months. I really don't. Uh, I'm a little bit more pessimistic that way. Uh, I think that there's going to be a number of weaker businesses that are probably highly leveraged with debt. They probably have outdated or stale product or service lines. They're not well-managed. Uh, that they are probably not going to hire nearly as fast or as much if they survive at all. And so I, I think this initial two and a half million don't expect the same numbers in June. I'm, I'm pessimistic on this. I think we'll be, I, I actually, I don't know where we'll be, but I don't think it'll be another two and a half million hired back in June. If, if that happens, I'll come back on the show and and do a mm -hmm. mea culpa there. So. No, that's all right. <laughs> hey, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, um, I'm going to delve into uh, some more of your thoughts um, on, uh, on all of this, including what we're seeing in the stock market. So Bill English sure. is here this morning. He is at, you can find him all the time, at BibleAndBusiness.com, and we'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Bill English from BibleAndBusiness.com. All right, so um, <clears throat> the stock market, uh, I think all of the textbooks are going to have to be rewritten because uh, it's like wacky bananas out there. You really think so? You don't think so? I mean, I, do no, you not? No, not, when a, you, not uh, at all. Okay, see, this is why we have you on and we don't just let me talk because I clearly <laughs> don't know what I'm talking about. Well, why, that's not true. Why is what we're seeing in the market, which has, uh, it appears to me, almost recovered all of its losses already, um, yeah. why is that not wacky bananas? It's not wacky bananas because they've already priced everything in. 
it, it was a little bit wacky when we had the 2.5 million jobs announcement and you saw the stock market go up that day. But um, the, again, the fundamentals of our economy are really quite good. And uh, the, the idea that, that we're going to uh, see the stock market just go down and down and down and down is, is not going to happen in this recession because the basics of the economy are good. It's not like back in 2007 where we had the whole banking system, or 2008, I should say, we should, where we had the whole banking system uh, in play and, and sus, really suspect. And and you didn't have you don't have President Trump going to the major banks saying everybody's got to take twenty five billion dollars in uh, in loans from the government to protect the weak banks here because they got so many bad mortgages that they folded into all their um, uh, investment portfolios. So this is a completely different scenario here. Um, so. The stock market really is a predictor of what's going to come down the line, and that's why a lot of people think that uh, that the economy is is going to it's going to have negative GDP in Q2 for sure, for sure. But in Q3, they're expecting uh, really positive growth, and I I am in that camp actually. So, all right, so. Um... Where should we go next? Let's talk about um, lawsuits, because one of the things that are really accelerating or piling up um, are lawsuits. Talk with us about that. Yeah, the lawsuits are exploding. I get this information from the U.S. Chambers Litigation Center. They have a COVID roundup every week. They're tracking all the lawsuits that are being filed nationwide. And it is it is amazing to see what is happening. And the number of suits is exploding. It's just everybody is suing everybody. Uh, workplace suits are continuing to increase that, that allege failure to protect workers or alleging virus exposure. Those kinds of workplace suits are increasing. And uh, for business owners and business leaders right now who are listening, you have got to go overboard in making sure that you're doing everything you can to protect your employees and your customers from exposure to the virus. Look, <clears throat> this virus is still with us. It's not going to go away for a number of months here until we have a vaccine or, I don't know, some kind of a, of a pill that we can take that makes it so that it doesn't affect us. Um, and these workplace suits are only going to continue to um, increase. You have got to look at this as a risk mitigation effort, as well as a health measure in protecting your workers. All right. In addition to that, we have uh, suits being filed against governors and suits and yep. businesses filing uh, against their states. Talk, talk about those kinds of lawsuits. Uh, uh, Nonprofits are filing against governors saying you don't have the authority to uh, shut down businesses and tell people to stay home. And, and businesses are filing suits against the states saying you don't have that same authority. You can't tell us when to shut our business and how to conduct our business and that kind of thing. And so in Colorado, uh, one uh, the state of Colorado actually went after uh, a few restaurants and revoked their licenses. Uh, because they weren't following state guidelines. And so those restaurants are now suing the state. Um, these, these kinds of who's in charge? Who's the authority here? Who gets to set the rules for this uh, weird 
life that we have now. It's probably going to be decided in the courts. It's not going to be decided by our legislatures. Uh, to my way of thinking, legislatures should be stepping up and, and dealing with some of these difficult questions. So um, it'll be interesting to see uh, how things move forward. Um, I know of at least one congregation that is gathering under the guise of a protest um, in order that they can have in-person worship services that defy rules set down for churches to regather. Because <laughs> they're like, you know, I- obviously the rules don't apply to protest, so we're going to call what we're doing a protest and instead of a worship service, and we're still going to do what we do. I, it's a, it, it's, I'm just saying it's a, it's, it's an interesting time to be alive. I'm of two minds on that. One mind says we should we should obey the government and we should follow guidance. The, my other mind says, why can't Christians go to church and expect God to do a miraculous thing in keeping us all healthy? Wouldn't that be something if Christians who went to church and congregated, uh, no one got the COVID virus because God intervened yeah, supernaturally? So, but we haven't seen that. I mean, we have seen cases where um, there's really extraordinarily bad outcomes for people who gather together in close proximity in worship services, um, at least in a couple of cases, one in California and one, um, I believe it was in Arkansas, where, you know, we're, we're talking about massive, massive numbers of people infected be, and, and the place where they uh, we're all together was church. So I do think caution is important. I mean, like the virus is real. Um, I mean, you know, I guess, uh, Bill, we could ask the same question. Why is any any Christian, why is any Christian contracting the coronavirus? Um, you know, yes, we're, yeah, we're always pleading. Yeah. I mean, we're always pleading with God, right, to right. Um, to be merciful. But we also recognize we live in a, a, a way far away from Eden, generations removed from um, from the reality of physical bodies that uh, that are that are perfect and an environment that's perfect as well. So, um, no, I hear you. Um, and there is a there's certainly a spiritual battle underway. Actually, one of our listeners pointed that out this morning. Why are we not talking about uh, the spiritual battle that is raging? Um, you know, they're they're seeing what's happening on the streets and in some places, and um, and and they're wondering why we're not talking more about the spiritual battle. Uh, at all levels and in all expressions. And that's certainly true in the conversation about, um, you know, protection from the virus. I, I get it. I totally get it. It is, um, it's, it is super duper complex. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah. Anything you want to, um, anything you want to add here? We got, uh, we got a, a little time left. Um, the, the one thing that stood out to me also was landlords filing suits against tenants over back rent. Well, they, yeah, because the tenants are not paying rent and because they don't have any money. And uh, some of that is because they didn't file for the PPP, and some of it is because they, uh, the applications for PPP got delayed. Uh, and so the landlords are filing suits. Look, the landlords are doing what they got to do to protect themselves, and the tenants are, um, are going to probably end up taking it on the chin here, uh, which is not good. Uh, the other place that we're seeing a number of suits uh, that I think is going to come up is uh, businesses who have income loss, they filed against their uh, insurance. The insurance has denied it because pandemics are specifically uh, uh, disclaimed in their policy. I could see a federal judge coming along and setting aside all of those um, carve-outs for pandemics in the uh, liability insurance and saying to the insurance companies, you got to cover lost income. 
uh, for these uh, uh, businesses because nobody could anticipate uh, this. And that's what you're here to do, insurance companies, is to take care of this. That will be, uh, if, a, if a judge does that, you can count on that going to the Supreme Court. That's going to be a nasty fight. Always great to talk with you. Um, so, so thankful for you and what you do. You guys can check out what Bill is writing about, talking about, and grab some resources at BibleAndBusiness.com. We'll be right back. What's the worst thing you've ever done? Did you get caught? Did you get prosecuted? Did you go to prison? So depending who you are and where you live and uh, how many uh, things you've done, um, in large measure determines whether or not you go to prison and how long you stay there. And we're going to talk today about um, a guy named Ricky. And uh, Ricky didn't just go to prison for a little while. Ricky is currently serving three successive 99-year sentences. Uh, He's never getting out. His story is told by Rosser McDonald, um, and it is a story you are going to want to hear. It's the story of real prison and real freedom. Rosser McDonald is joining me next. God notices the grateful heart. He took a praise-singing shepherd boy and made him a king. There's no hint of God getting out of sorts if we aren't thankful. But there is evidence that we're affected by his own ingratitude. What are the disastrous days, the nights I can't sleep, and the hours I can't rest? Are we still grateful then? Jesus was. The Bible records, on the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. It's not often you see the words betrayed and thanks in the same sentence, much less in the same heart. In the midst of the darkest night of the human soul, Jesus found a way to give thanks. Anyone can thank God for the light. Jesus teaches us to thank God for the night. And he says to us, you'll get through this, and we will. This is Max Lucado. Joining me now, Rosser... McDonald. He's an experienced writer for 16 years. He reported the news on TV in Oklahoma and Texas. Then he spent 28 years as the producer at a radio and television commission, SBC. Twelve of those he produced and scripted documentaries for use on NBC uh, television, producing uh, a couple of Emmy Award nominations. Um, He's got lots of uh, journalistic awards under his belt, and now he's uh, offering us a book. It is uh, it is. uh, it's a biography. It's also a bit of a documentary. It's called Real Prison, Real Freedom. Rosser McDonald, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Well, thank you and glad to be with you. Well, it's nice to have you um, here today. Uh, I think that I will just do this. Rosser, tell me a story. Tell me a story about Ricky Smith. Well, Ricky Smith uh, started out with uh, a typical childhood, except he was an adopted child. And uh, but he uh, he had uh, two parents, but uh, his dad had his own way of seeing things. uh, And he passed those along to Ricky, like uh, Ricky came home 
with a bloody nose one time after school, and his dad said, you go back there and whip that boy. You don't come home to me crying to me. You go whip, take care of it yourself. So he was, uh, he was taught to take care of himself and to, uh, to make sure that he was the one that was able to, uh, to get things done when they needed to be in that regard. So that went on for a while, <clears throat> and uh, but Ricky had a, a somewhat of a dyslexia problem, and was it was very difficult for him to get along in school, uh, and to get his work done. So by the seventh grade, he dropped out of school altogether. So he had a lot of time on his hands, and eventually that time he began to use uh, breaking into houses and things like that around and kind of a, a, a progressing uh, lawlessness in his life, uh, ultimately uh, ending in uh, drug charges, sending him to the Texas Department of Corrections for 10 years. Okay, so, so 10 years. Yeah, I think that, so So we would we would not be having this conversation if um, if what landed Ricky Smith in prison which were drug-related charges for a 10-year sentence, um, if, if he had served out that sentence um, without, without, you know, right, without further uh, bad behavior, right? So talk about why, why we're talking about a man who has three 99-year sentences because he went into prison on a drug charge uh, for a 10-year sentence. Right, and he could have gotten out with good time, good behavior, and all that probably in three years or so. But uh, he had a problem with God uh, when he was uh, about fourteen years old. He had he had he knew there was a God. His parents recognized that there is a God, but they were not really active uh, Christian. Uh, they didn't live an active Christian life. But he'd gone to church with his mother a few times, <clears throat> so he knew there was a God. And uh, his parents were having more and more uh, tension between them and difficulty, and, and too, too often he was in the middle. It was because of him um, because that they were having the problems. And uh, it was getting worse, and when he was 14 years old, it was obvious they were going to divorce. <clears throat> so Ricky went out across the street from their house in the woods, looked up through the trees and the rain and said, if that's the kind of God you are, I don't want to have anything to do with you, and threw in some expletives. <clears throat> so he had rejected, formally, loudly rejected God at that point. Well, <clears throat> when he went to prison, uh, he hadn't been there very long when uh, a, a young man came to his cell and said he wanted to introduce him to his friend. So Ricky looked around and for somebody else and said, who's your friend? And he said, he's Jesus. And uh, so Ricky, that, that ticked him off. He cussed him out, ran him off. The man was there to invite him to a, a prison ministry uh, service down in the chapel. But Ricky uh, <clears throat> rejected all of that and went down to the end of the cell block and uh, said to a group of guys gathered there, okay, if you'll have me, I'll join you. And this happened mm -hmm. to be a group of Aryan Brotherhood guys who had invited him to join because they saw him as what they would call a stand-up guy who's going to take care of himself. So he joined the Aryan Brotherhood. 
And <clears throat> at that time, they, they had a war with the Mandingo Warriors, which would be a black gang, and they also had the Mexican Mafia. So there were gang wars going on in the prisons, and, uh, and Ricky just ended up in the middle of that. Uh, he liked what he thought he, that the Aryan Brotherhood was for, but that was their uh, code. Their, uh, they said they, they have love, loyalty, and respect. Was, mm. uh, those were the watchwords for the Aryan Brotherhood. And, so, and, and Ricky thought that was good. He had his own personal code. If Ricky Smith tells you he's going to do something, then he's going to make sure that he does it, whether it's good or whether it's bad. If he says, I'm going to give you this, well, he's going to give it to you. If he says, I'm going to hurt you, then he's going to hurt you because he feels honor bound to live up to his word. And uh, so that carried over into the Aryan Brotherhood activity and the gang wars that were going on. Okay, we need to pause, um, uh, Rosser, and take a very, very brief break. Uh, let me remind our listeners, I'm talking with Rosser McDonald. Um, he is a, a journalist. He is also the author of Real Prison, Real Freedom. It is Ricky Smith's story. Ricky Smith uh, serving three 99-year sentences, um, but now free, uh, free indeed. We're going to talk about the freedom that Ricky Smith has experienced in the transformation in his life. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with retired journalist Rosser McDonald. He has written about the spiritual transformation of one of Texas's most notorious criminals, Ricky Smith, uh, and how he came to faith in prison. Um, uh, it occurs to me, Rosser, that this could be, this could be um, a biography of Ricky's adopted mom. It could be a biography of Warden Keith Price. It could be a biography of Bob Norris. Like, there are a lot of people from whose viewpoint or vantage point this story could be told. There are a lot of really influential characters um, in, you know, in this unfolding uh, drama um, maybe take us to like Groundhog Day 1990 or, um, well, take us wherever you want to take us that you really view as like the pivot point for the conversation that we're having, um, which right. then we'll right. fast forward and talk about Ricky's testimony today. Yep. Okay. Um, actually, let me say that, uh, you know, we've heard the term perfect storm mm -hmm. and, and Ricky's getting started with the Aryan Brotherhood and all actually turned out to be one of those kind of perfect storm situations because there were increasing gang wars. But at the same time, uh, a federal judge in eastern Texas took control of the prison system, saying, you're treating inmates inhumanely, and that's unconstitutional, and you have to change and do it this way. Well, at the time, you... Uh, inmates were being used to control cell blocks. And, uh, and he says, you can't do that. Well, if they didn't have an inmate controlling the cell block, in some cases there was hardly, there was no one controlling the cell block because the prison system did not have enough officers to take the place of 
the inmates that they called building tenders. And so there was less supervision uh, going on. And at, also at that time, the prison system's basic use of force uh, policy was that uh, an officer could use his baton or his fist, and that was the only weapons that he had. So if an inmate is being unruly or fighting or whatever, then that was uh, it was fists or a baton that the officer had to get back uh, to try to control the situation. So that meant when when that happened to Ricky. Uh, if an officer hit him with a baton, then Ricky took that as uh, uh, meaning that he had to get back at that officer. And he would tell him, say, you slam me and I'll get back at you. And he gave him plenty of warning. So all of this was going on and complicating things there. And uh, <clears throat> so uh, Ricky finally got to the point where he wanted to kill somebody anybody, an officer or an inmate, and he tried over and over. He stabbed two officers, and he stabbed he stabbed a lot more. But uh, the worst ones were two officers and one inmate, and those were the ones that were chosen by prosecutors uh, to, uh, to take him to trial. And since no one died, it was an attempted murder trial, and all three of those ended with guilty and a 99-year sentence. And uh, so he had built up that 300 years uh, on top of the few years that he already had. And uh, he made the declaration then that, okay, from now on, it doesn't matter to me. He, you know, anybody's fair game. And uh, so he had all kinds of plans. He set fire to one of the prison buildings. He... Uh, uh, you know, did uh, many, many different uh, kinds of things Rosser. causing trouble. Rosser, let me invite you to pause because you and I have about two minutes to bring this thing around to transformation oh. and what, oh, okay. what, how God has really, right, because we're going to come up here on the, on the hard end of an hour. So I would, um, you know, obviously without giving away the whole book, Real Prison, Real Freedom is about uh, the transformation that's taken place in this man's life. So tell us the story of, of Ricky Smith today. All right. Ricky Smith uh, got to the point where nothing would work. None of his plans would, uh, would, would come to fruition. And he thought, well, God is against me. God is causing everything I want to do to fail. And then he's talking about God, thinking about God, and says, why? Why would God care about me? I've cussed him, I've rejected him, blah, blah, blah. But Bob Norris, uh, that you mentioned, uh, a chaplain at uh, Hospitality House, had written a letter to Ricky with a, the scripture in it that uh, where Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who are uh, tired and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And Ricky read that and said, Rest. That's what I need is rest. So that led him to look further into it and to bring himself to the Lord to say, I accept you and accept your rest. And at that point became a Christian. And then he had to learn a whole new way of life because it's the total opposite of what his life had been before. Fortunately, there was a volunteer chaplain that came every weekend that helped him with that. There was a warden, a Christian warden, who helped him with all of that. And he had to learn to forgive all these people who he had considered his enemies. 
because, as it says in the Lord's Prayer, I will forgive you as you forgive others. And so Ricky had to learn that, and it was a very difficult lesson for him to learn because he he just was not used to giving any uh, giving up at all any kind of control and saying you know I did wrong and and I, and I ask your forgiveness. But he uh, he did become a Christian. He was baptized in the prison, and he's been living now for thirty years as a Christian. He has led many inmates uh, to the Lord, and he continues to do that. He has led a few officers to the Lord. And, uh, and that's his goal is uh, is to do to do bring anyone that he can uh, to know Jesus as their savior, and uh, his uh, yeah his, we're gonna his, we're, we're gonna have his to leave dream it right is to there. Do an ex- I'm sorry. No, no, that's okay. His dream. Go ahead. Go ahead. His dream. Uh, his, his dream is to get out of prison and start an ex-convict ministry. Uh, whether that will ever happen or not, uh, only the Lord knows. All right, that's Roser McDonald. Uh, he is the author of Real Prison, Real Freedom. It is available now. It is the transforming story of Ricky Smith, and frankly, it's the story of the power of the gospel and gospel people who never give up. Gospel Amen. people who never give up. I mean, that is uh, that this story could be told from so many different vantage points. Um, Rosser McDonald, thank you so much for telling this story and bringing it to us here today. We'll be right back. All right, what's your story of redemption? Who are the characters that um, move that story along? Um, in the in the life of Ricky Smith, um, it, it will not be lost on you if you were to read this book that there are a number of Christians who uh, take very seriously the calling to intervene in this man's life, to introduce him to Jesus, to continue to present the gospel, to go back over and over and over again, to visit him in every way possible by the sending of letters um, and by, you know, and by showing up, by praying, by being present in the midst of, uh, of angst-filled conversations. So I just want to give a shout out to our brother in Christ, Warden Keith Price, uh, Chaplain uh, Bob Norris. I want to give a shout out um, to uh, Celestia. I want to give a shout out to the men and women who along the way made the redemption of this individual possible because they never gave up on the gospel. They never gave up on the transforming power of the gospel to reach a man who was so far gone um, that he was at one point considered Texas's most violent uh, incarcerated individual. Um, now he is a man of peace, sowing peace, uh, sharing the gospel with others. Um, he says, I'm glad to be counted crazy for Christ. It is no mistake that I am just where my Lord wants me to be. You are just where the Lord wants you to be today, and in front of you are gospel opportunities. Um, express the freedom that you have in Christ to set others free with the power of the gospel. Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.